Amen. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 and walking through verses 21 and 25. And this is going to be the third of the blessings and the third of the woes. And as you remember, we've been connecting a blessing with a woe because the way Luke wrote this, he connected them one with another. So we are slowing down at this point to walk through each of these. And the question this morning is, where is your joy? Where is it that you find joy? So these are the words of Christ in verse 21 and 25. He says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The first blessing is there. And Christ says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This is the blessing that we're looking at today, the third one that Christ has pronounced. Blessed are if you are weep now before you, if you are sad at this time, you are mourning at this time, you will laugh at a later point. You will have joy at a later point. What is he talking about? What exactly does he mean? Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. What blessing is there? What blessing can exist in the midst of despair? What blessing is there in the midst of pain? We would understand this in the same line that we've understood his prior blessings and prior woes. The the mere existence of sorrow, the mere existence of pain, the mere existence of difficulty, these are not blessings in and of themselves. You know, I had a seminary professor that had a perspective on revivals, and he said that if you look at all of the revivals that have happened, they have all happened around times where there were social difficulties, and the people were merely responding to social difficulties of those times. And you can see a correlation between many revivals and social difficulties and the way in which people have responded to those But you can likewise find times when cultures fell into total anarchy. You can look at the French Revolution and see social difficulties that were there and did not result in a great revival. In fact, Christians were greatly persecuted during that time. Churches were burnt down during that time. Merely having a social difficulty doesn't result in spiritual growth. The reality is that the difficulties that someone experiences in life can lead them closer to the Lord or can lead them further away. The same is demonstrated in the history of Israel. It is so short-sighted merely to see a revival and say that only happened because there was some kind of a social difficulty at the time. No, we understand that when Paul writes the book of Romans, he doesn't talk about social difficulties resulting in people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord can use all things for his people. He can use all things for their good. But the Spirit of God must work upon a person. The Spirit of God must open someone's eyes. Someone must come to an understanding of their lost state. They must come to an understanding of their situation and where they stand under the wrath and the curse of God. And they must find a solution in no other means, no other place, other than that which has been granted by the Lord, which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is here speaking from an eternal 
perspective. He is instructing us on how it is that we should view the world, that we should view our lives, we should view our lives and our existence from an eternal perspective. It's all coming back to where your treasure is. Where does your treasure lie? We began with that point. He spoke of actual possessions and actual treasures. Here we're dealing with your desires, your emotions, the very spiritual foundation upon which you are even standing. And you're not born into this world standing rightly upon that spiritual foundation. And the first and most clear way that we can understand this idea of blessed are you who weep now is in regard to the blessing of those who weep over their sin, those who mourn over their sin Dear friends, is your sin something that disturbs you? Is your sin something that that frustrates you? Do do you even see your sin? Do you see yourself merely as someone who who makes mistakes? Who is errant at times, but you're not like this person or that person? Are you quick to see the sin of others over your own? 1 John 1, beginning in verse 8. The apostle writes, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Dear friends, do you see your sin? Do do you find yourself pining, longing for a state of existence when you are no longer sinning, no longer connected with sin, no longer struggling with sin? Is it even a, a struggle for you? Here's not what I mean. I don't mean do you long for a state of existence where you no longer have to deal and experience the sin of other people. Certainly that's a good desire. Absolutely that's a good thing. That will be our existence in glory. We will will not be dealing with the sin of other people. Christ will make all things new. But that's not hitting the nail on the head. That's not understanding clearly what Christ is talking about in this passage. That's not what he's speaking about here in this text. We are looking at the sin, the sorrow that an individual feels for their sin. Do you, have you come to the end of yourself in regard to your sin? Have you said, I, I don't know what else to do. I, I am not able to have victory over this particular sin. I don't know which direction that I should go. Oh, dear friends, the solution is in Christ Jesus. Christ is the beginning and the end. Christ has done all that is necessary whereby you can have freedom from sin. It is in Christ alone. It is granted by grace and through faith, by trusting in him, by believing upon him, by trusting that he has done all that is necessary. Oh, the ways that sorrow for sin is a necessary requirement for entering that narrow gate, that narrow gate that lies there before you. Jesus said this, did he not? In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, he says, Enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way that is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
That narrow gate is narrow. Few are going through it. Few are seeing the seriousness of their sin or recognizing the ways in which they have violated God's law. When you consider Pilgrim's Progress, there are so many great illustrations that Bunyan put in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And he did such a great job of illustrating even this idea, this very concept of those that did not enter through that narrow gate. Christian is traveling down the road, going to the celestial city. And here are some men. And they are climbing over the wall. Like robbers, they had not gone through that narrow gate. They were, they were practicing man's religion, man's justification, man's way of making himself right before God through his own religious actions. They went not through that narrow gate. They saw not the seriousness of their sins. They said, I, I can handle this. I don't need to go that way. I have my own religion that I can use whereby I'm going to the same place. They were not like Christian. They had not gone along that path. Perhaps they looked similar to him as they walked down that pathway. Maybe they looked that way, but when they spoke, it was distinct. It was different. They weren't like Christian, who, as you remember at the beginning of that story, had a great weight upon his back. The the weight of his sin was upon him. There was a great burden that was upon Christian. And he struggled with that burden, and he went forward struggling with that burden, seeking a solution to that burden, for he found none in man's religion. He found found no solution there in the city of destruction. And he went to the cross, you remember. And that burden was removed. That great weight that lay upon him was there no longer. It had been placed upon Christ Jesus. It was only there at the cross where that could be removed. It was only in Christians seeing the reality of that weight and that weight being a burden upon him. Something that he struggled with, something that he despised, something that he wanted to be rid of. All those men that jumped over the wall, those men that were but robbers and went in a different path that did not enter through that narrow gate, they had that weight upon them as well. They just saw it not. They bore it not. They ignored it. They justified it. They made excuses for it. That sin that was upon Christian brought him great sorrow, brought him great distress. Dear friends, understand this reality. Understand this. Don't walk away and think that just because I feel sorrow for sin, sadness for sin, that this is godly repentance. It is quite possible for you to have sorrow over sin. But sorrow rather for the consequences of your sin. Sorrow rather because it has hurt others that you care for. It has hurt others that you love. That is a great reality. There are penitentiaries full of people that are sorry for their sin. There are many people who have wrecked their lives who are sorry for their sin, but they do not see the ways in which their sin has offended God. They don't see the ways in which they have violated God's law. Dear friends, there is a difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance, and they're not so easily discerned at first glance. 
At first glance, they can look similar, just as in the illustration of Pilgrim's Progress, you have Christian walking down the pathway, going toward the celestial city, and you have the men who have jumped over the wall, and they are walking down that pathway, and they can look very similar. But there is a distinction, and there is a difference of those that have walked through that narrow gate. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 Paul writes, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly, godly sorrow produces a true repentance, a recognition that I have violated God's law, that I have offended the God in whom I made in his image, and I have violated his word, I have violated his law. Seeing that there is no justification for what I have done. I have not the ability to blame this on someone else. I have sinned before the Lord. And we see David communicate that in his psalm. Against you alone have I sinned. He does not mean that he never sinned against anyone else. But in a primary sense, in a first sense, it is against God that we have sinned. Not merely seeing the consequences of your sin how they've affected you, how they have affected other people. This can be very eye-opening. This is very important to recognize this. But your repentance must go beyond just merely being sad or merely being disappointed over the consequences of your sin and the ways it has affected other people. There must be a godly recognition, a true sorrow that comes to an end and says, I have no solution for this in myself. Man's religion can do me no good. It doesn't matter how many Hail Marys I pray. It's not going to help me. It doesn't matter how much money that I give. It's not going to help me. It doesn't matter if I walk upstairs on my knees. It's not going to help me. No. No, there is a requirement to see your need, to have a true and godly sorrow, to find no end in yourself. Godly recognition of sin recognizes the primary way, first and foremost, recognizing the ways in which you have offended God. Do you see that, dear friends? Do you see the ways in which you have violated God's law? This law of God that is eternal, that comes from the very being of God, that comes from his, very much who he is. He is conveying to us the way it is that we should live, the way it is that we should exist. Oh, the ways in which man caused such trouble. The ways in which destruction came about as man began to violate God's law. As man began to believe, I have another way that I can go. Oh, it is necessary to see the ways in which we have broken God's law. We have offended the one who has given us life. That the very one who has blessed us, who has given us life, who has given us breath, is the very one that we are sinning against. We are using even the blessings that he gives to us for the purpose of sinning against him even more. There are misunderstandings of even godly repentance. There are misunderstandings 
of turning away from sin. I've seen this more than once. I may not have a Bible verse for it, but I believe Satan is more than happy to trade sins with you. That if you want to walk and turn from this sin and just take on another one, he doesn't seem to put up much of a fight with you on that. And I remember many years ago at a church I was at previously, there was a man who had been a part of the Sunday school there, and he was a man who had struggled very greatly with homosexuality. And he was someone we had prayed for we had talked through we had walked through some of these things with him and then he had gone away he had moved on to Austin and I saw him I saw him many years later and he told me praise God I'm changed I'm a new person I don't struggle with this any longer I no longer am struggling with homosexuality God has made me new and I was joyful and I hugged him and I shook his hand and I said this is great we began to talk even more And then as I began to talk to him, I realized that this man, though he wasn't practicing homosexuality, was now living with his girlfriend. They were residing one with another. They were not married. And I had to warn him. I said, the the, the passage that I talked to you about in 1 Corinthians 6 many years ago not only says that homosexuality is a sin, it also says that fornication is a sin. You've traded one sin over here for another sin. It was a very sad conversation. It was a very difficult conversation. And some people will celebrate in, the, in changing one sin for another. It does you no good if you go to AA and you end one sin and you go and you just pick up and you run off with another sin. It is necessary to have a true and a real godly sorrow for sin. Not one that merely is looking to change behaviors. We're not merely looking for behavior modification. You need a heart transplant, dear friends. You need what Ezekiel talked about. You need to have a heart of stone changed to a heart of flesh, one that is malleable, one that is movable by the Lord. The worldly repentance does not suffice. And we see even that same idea in a parable that Jesus gives where you have the unclean spirit that goes out of someone and the man cleans himself up. He does better. He becomes a more decent person. But the Spirit just goes and brings many more, and the man's in an even worse state than he was previously. You must understand this. If we merely change a behavior for the purpose of taking upon ourselves a legalistic religion, though you may have done better with one particular action, you are not helping yourself in regard to your situation with your sin. You're not helping yourself in regard to your relationship With the Lord, all of the religions of the world give such opportunities. All of the religions in the world give you a means whereby you can act in a legalistic way to make yourself right before the Lord. But there's but one means the Lord has given whereby you can be saved. There's but one opportunity that is there whereby you can have forgiveness of sins that you can be made right. And that is through Jesus Christ. It is through his finished work. It is by you first and foremost seeing the seriousness of your sin that you can say this. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. For you have your weeping now over your sin. You have seen the seriousness of it and seen no other hope. But we have the warning there in the woe. We have the warning there in the woe in verse 25 in Luke chapter 6. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 
Jesus here is giving a woe. Jesus here is giving a, a, a caution. This is a woe to those that don't see the seriousness of their sin. Going through their life, practicing man's religion, not seeing their need for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, not seeing their need to have a godly repentance. This is just as you would see with the prophets in the Old Testament that would give woes to various countries, various empires. They would say, woe to you, Tyre and Sidon. Woe to you, Egypt. Woe to you, Babylon. Woe to you, Assyria. There's the same style of woe right now that is given to those who laugh now that, that think this isn't a big deal. What is up with these religious guys? Why are they so serious about these things? You know, things aren't that bad. I talked to a man just the other day. That's what he told me. He was waiting for, um, you know, providentially, this is what happened. He was a very large group. They were waiting for the Uber to arrive. And Uber doesn't pick up 20 people at once, so it took a while. It took a good 20 minutes. And I had a conversation with this man, and we talked through this, he, he, he told me, like, look, everything's not that bad. It's okay. You're doing what you're doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. And I began to press upon him. I began to, to press upon him to call him to question what he's saying, his, his assurance that everything is all right, that he is good where he was. He's not seeing the seriousness of his situation. He's not seeing the seriousness of his sin. There's a curse of God upon all who die in their sins. All those that don't see the seriousness of their circumstance, they laugh now, they joke now, they have this worldly joy now, but they have not had the godly sorrow for their sins. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all who die in this situation, all who die in this circumstance, all those that are content in their sinfulness, seeing no seriousness here having no real concern to change. Woe to you, Jesus says. Woe to you who take no heed over your circumstances. So many ways you just, I'm just fine. Things are good. And God's showing even mercy to you in that situation that you are not even living out what is actually in your heart. The many distractions that exist in this world, we just come up with newer and newer ways to distract ourselves from our real problem, our real situation, our real circumstance. You laugh now, but you will weep. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, beginning in 4, in verse 5. You know, I was talking to that man on the street, and it reminded me of Genesis 6. It reminded me of the time when Noah was building the ark. And Noah was building the ark, and the world was not concerned. The world was not repenting. He looked absolutely foolish for decade after decade, building that great boat. Second Peter 1, 4 and 5 says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and commanded them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. 
We have Noah being declared here as a herald of righteousness, one who is declaring this, one who is proclaiming this righteousness, one who is proclaiming the glory of God. And he did that as he built that ark. The instruction was ignored. The instruction was was looked past. Noah was preaching through each and every plank he was putting upon that ark. Each and every animal that was being taken upon that ark was a proclamation of the judgment of God that is over the world. The declaration that the wrath of God is coming. It is going to fall upon everyone. It is held back at this time, but the Lord is merely allowing the unrighteousness of man to build up, and it will fall upon them. And the wrath of God was building over the heads of all who were on the planet. And it fell upon them. And that is the same promise. There is a very direct connection made. A very direct connection made between the judgment of the flood upon the earth and the final judgment that is made by the writers of scripture. And that is a warning that is given The same thing is true with many people now. John 3 in verse 36, John says this at the end of chapter 3. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That is the warning that is there. Just as in the times of old, there were those that lived, they were married, they were getting married. They were living, they were joyful, they were living their lives. They were not concerned over the ways in which they had violated the law of God. They were not concerned over their circumstance. So it is now. But the consequence that we're looking at eternally is one that is not merely temporal in a losing of your life, in a drowning, in a destruction of what is here. It is a fiery flame in which you will exist for all eternity. And it is Jesus Christ, dear friends, that is that spiritual ark. In due time, in due time, the Lord will judge each and every person. The Lord will judge the world as a whole. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will weep. The wrath of God will fall upon all people everywhere that die in their sin. God has given a time for man to die, and then the judgment This will be an eternal judgment. The the prophet says the soul that sins shall die. We are talking about a spiritual death. We are talking about the wrath and curse of God falling upon someone for all eternity and never ending. For you are not able to rightly deal with the wrath of God. You are not able to satisfy. You are not able to, to bring about justice in Jesus Christ. The Lord is just and justifier. And Jesus Christ, God has shown his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died. The Lord shows his hatred of sin in the cross. The Lord shows the seriousness of sin in the cross. And there's a judgment that is coming. And just as it was in the time of Noah, people were living their lives, people were eating and drinking. I saw this just last time. We were on the, the people are not concerned. I'm good. I, I'm fine the way I am. I don't need to be concerned with my eternal existence. Woe to you, Jesus says. 
Woe to you who have no concern for the judgment. Woe to you that have no concern over your relationship with the Lord. Woe to you that take the blessings of God merely to sin against the Lord even more. The wrath of God is growing and it is growing and it is growing upon you. When you take into account the nation that we live in, you take into account the trajectory that we are on as a nation, we are running headlong into the judgment of God. And that is even, that's an understatement actually. It's an understatement to say that we're running into the judgment of God because we are seeing the judgment of God being displayed and proclaimed upon this nation each and every day as we continue on this downward spiral as a people who are rejecting God, as a people who are rejecting the Creator, who are worshiping and serving the creation rather than the Creator. People that are denying what is very evident before them. It is absolutely incredible how the world has even changed just in the last five years within this country. You even take it back 20 years, the things that would, have, would not even have been questioned. This is evidence of, of God's wrath. It's not just that the, the Lord is going to judge us for our sin in this nation. The Lord is judging us. The existence of these perversions to that which is contrary to nature, to that is which is very contrary to science, that which is contrary to logic, that which is contrary to what is best for a person and their existence. The fact that people are walking down that in such great numbers is evidence of God's judgment upon this nation even now. Romans 1, 26 and 27, it says, For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is God turning a people over at that time that they would walk headlong into that which is destructive. They would walk headlong into that which is very contrary to the very nature, contrary to who they are and who they have been made by God. The Lord is bringing that about and judging them in this way. But you see this in the passage just prior to that one. Romans 1 beginning in verse 22, it says this, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It is a people that is walking in their idolatry. It is a people that is denying God as their creator that are being turned over. A people that is worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. The Lord is hardening their hearts at that time that they would do even that which is contrary to nature. Doing that which is even contrary for what is best for themselves and for others. The Lord is not making them do this. Don't, don't get me wrong there. Don't misunderstand that. The Lord is merely holding back those inhibitions that would make someone say, what am I doing? I, I'm being destructive to myself. I'm being destructive to other people. 
like Pharaoh, as we saw in the book of Exodus. What he did was, was, was insane. What he did made absolutely no sense. They, they had lost their crops. They had lost their wealth. He had lost even his own son. And he went headlong, drove even his military, the greatest military in the world, into the middle of the sea, and they drowned. Oh, dear friends, dear friends, the solution that the Lord has given, that ark that I speak of, is Christ Jesus. Don't look to the world. Don't look to the ways, the glamour that the world gives, the ways in which the world makes sin look attractive, the ways in which the world makes sin look good. No. Look to the word of God and see the seriousness. Look to the cross. Look to the cross of Christ Jesus. In the cross of Christ Jesus, you see God as just and justifier. Oh, that we would do what what Jesus says here, that we would weep over our sins and see no hope in ourselves. Paul walks through the solution very clearly in Romans 5. The solution for the one who is weeping over their sin, who has a godly sorrow for their sin, the one who will laugh, has it in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. We have the story here of the, the, the great problem that happened, that problem that happened at the very beginning where man sinned against God and Adam was the one who represented all of his people. Adam was our federal head. He was the first Adam. As it says here, who Adam was a type of the one who was to come. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is that second Adam. And so what happened in Adam's sin is that all who came after him fell all of them were born in their sin. All of them carried with them the guilt of Adam. They were born dead in their trespasses, in sins. They were hopeless in and of themselves, unable to do anything that is good, unable to do anything that is worthy. Please see that, dear friends. That, that, that is the depth of sin. Sin has affected every aspect of humanity. It has affected the mind. It has affected the will the desires, and the actions. So that is why Jesus talks about sin, and he talks about sin as flowing out from the heart. It is our heart that needs to change because we have been born dead in our trespasses, in sins. But Paul continues in verse 15. He says, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ did the opposite of what Adam did. Adam was disobedient. All that came after Adam were born in their sins. All that came after Adam were born guilty in their sins. But dear friends, to the one who comes to Christ Jesus, to the one who has the godly sorrow, the one who sees the seriousness of their sin, if you will see what Jesus has done, if you will understand what Christ accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection, if you will understand that Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God, the fullness of that wrath, that wrath that I spoke of earlier that is building over the person as they sin, that is building over the person as they continue to violate God's law, that those who are not trusting in Christ, the wrath of God is over them, that you are even using the blessings of God not for the purpose of solving your situation, but rather for digging your hole even deeper because you take even those good things God gives you and you worship and you trust in those rather than trusting in the Lord that granted that to you. See this reality, that's what Jesus did. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God and that's not the end of the story. But Christ Jesus kept the law in every respect that unlike Adam who sinned and placed upon his people that came after him unrighteousness, Jesus fulfilled the law in every respect. Jesus was the faithful son. Jesus is the true Israel, and he has blessed his people with life. Justification made right before the Lord, standing before the Lord. I spoke of it earlier. I said, God's given a, man, a time for man to die, and then the judgment. You can stand before the Lord in that judgment with no concerns whatsoever, with no worries so many times I've talked to someone and I've said, what do you think is going to happen when you die? Will you go to heaven? They say, well, I hope so. See, in Jesus Christ, we don't have an I hope so. Paul begins Romans 5 by saying, we have peace with God. This is the only religion that grants peace with God. This is the only religion whereby you can have forgiveness of sin, that you can die and you can die, and you can die in peace. And you can go to be with the Lord. I was really shocked one time. I had, I had gone to funerals growing up. And I had only gone to Christian funerals. And I was shocked at the time when I had gone to a funeral that was not a Christian funeral. There was Certainly there was a Bible that was there. There was a minister in the front. But the people that were there were overwhelmingly not Christians, and it was someone that I knew in college, and he had died in a very um, immediate and tragic way that nobody saw coming. And I saw people absolutely losing their minds, people absolutely fretting, people shaking, people, people trembling, not knowing, well, what does this mean? They had no way to understand this death. It's not so for one that is in Christ. You can have peace in your death when you're in Christ Jesus, for you have peace with God. Paul continues in verse 18. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's the reality. That's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me continue there. He says, now the law came to increase the trespass, but sin increased. Grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is talking about grace here. He's talking about even that reality, that that existence of the law. You you know, it's funny. Those of you that have had a toddler, you, you tell the toddler, okay, don't touch the plug. Don't put your hand on the plug over there. What does that child begin to do? They begin to find reasons to even... They touch it, they get, they, get, they get in trouble, they begin to bump up against the wall, rub their elbow on it. I, one of mine, even at one point, tried this strategy. He, this child turned their <laughs> I messed it up. I gave it away, didn't I? Turned his head like this so he wasn't looking, but then began to put his hand upon the plug, not thinking, well, I can't see this. Maybe you can't see this either. And there's that reality there of the law, that the law in the sinful heart leads someone to go and walk that direction even more. The law doesn't solve our problem. It points out our problem. It is a mirror. That's how we understand it as Reformed Christians. That it is a mirror. It shows you your need. It shows you your need to be one who, who weeps. But as, but as sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is the grace that we have in Christ Jesus, that Christ Jesus did all that was necessary so many like to talk nowadays that you don't really have a problem. Why did Jesus need to come? Why, why, is Christ, why did Christ assume the flesh and live amongst us, dwell among us if it wasn't necessary? If you could have worked it off in purgatory, why should the Son of God come? Why should he suffer? Why should he die? There was no other way. There was no other means. It is through him alone. It's the only means whereby you can have peace with God. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ you can have his righteousness. You have the removal of God's wrath. And you have the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And you can stand before the Lord. Those who weeped will laugh. Not laugh like you normally think of laugh, but those who are weeping now for their sin. This doesn't mean you live your whole life in depression. That's not what it's talking about. This is the idea of one who has had a sorrow for their sin. You may even bring into this the idea of persecution that you experience, and that is there. That's something that we didn't, that we didn't really unpack as we walk through this. But, but blessed are you who weep now, for you shall have joy. You shall have joy for all of eternity. That's what is there, dear friends. That's my prayer that you would see this. That you would see the beauty and the prize that is there in Christ Jesus, the glory that is there in Christ Jesus. That that just as the wrath of God fell upon the world in the flood, the wrath of God will fall upon the world in the final judgment. He will make all things new. He will eliminate sin. My prayer is that you would see your life from eternal perspective as Christ is saying it, even now. Trust not in the things of this world. Trust not in in man's religion. Trust not in your best deeds. And take up hope, dear friends, for the reality is that persecution will likely come in the years to come. It is is very much creeping at our door. It is very much in the legislative branch of this government right now. 
And that's a reality that many of you are going to be experiencing and many of our children are going to be walking through. But we have hope even in a passage like this that persecution may come at those times. Our hope is not here. Our hope is not in our possessions. Our hope is not in our wealth. Our hope is not in our power and our network of influence. Our hope is in Christ. Noah walked upon that ark with all of the animals and all that he had and all that was there was destroyed. He had a house, I am certain. It was gone. It was destroyed. But his hope was in the Lord and he trusted the Lord in walking in obedience onto that ark and trusting in God's word. And it's greater so even for those who are trusting in Christ. For Christ is that greater ark in Christ has a place for you dear Christian he is building a place for you there is the new Jerusalem a place where you will no longer experience the consequences of sin either yours or that of others you will no longer experience the consequences of sin even upon your bodies through sickness and through death and through pain and through sorrow no dear friends blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh there will be great joy for you for all of eternity for Christ Jesus has purchased that for you. Trusting in Christ. Be believing in his word.